Hello and welcome to From the Ground Up Podcast, a podcast where we discuss key doctrines of the Christian faith, all while keeping Christ as the cornerstone in every aspect of it. I'm Seth Bridgman, your host. Welcome to our show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to From the Ground Up Podcast. I am Seth Bridgman, your host, and with me today, as always, are our three other amigos plus one. So, uh, first off, how are you guys doing today? Doing well. It's early, so it is. But no, it's early. early. This is your decision. I don't know. It was voted upon. I will say that. <clears throat> and then we have a uh, we have a guest. We have Pastor Jeremy with us. How are you, sir? Everybody always says fine. I feel like I should probably tell the truth. I'm not doing that great, to be honest with you. <laughs> should we be concerned? <laughs> no, I just wanted to say something different than everyone else said. So no, I'm really fine. <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How's your day? Yeah. Kick the dog. <laughs> what have you got for me? <laughs> Nothing. So uh, today we are tackling Old Testament versus New Testament atonement. So uh, in short terms, justification. Uh, but before we get into that, for our icebreaker question, if you were stranded. So for today's icebreaker question, if you were stranded on a deserted island with an unbeliever and you had to pick one book of the Bible to take with you, what book would you pick? Cody, you're up. Oh, jeez. Wow. Well, so, I gotta think about this for a second. No, thank you. Just no, thank you. Just answer. There's 66 of them you can choose from. Come on. Uh, let me think. I'm just going to shoot for Romans. Cover a lot of ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for the long game. Yeah, please. <laughs> we don't know how long we're going to be stuck. <laughs> I gotta, I'm going to be different, but my first choice would be Romans. But I'm going to say Hebrews. See, Hebrews without the Old Testament is going to be a little hard to explain. You, well, you're right. And so that's why I was going to go with Romans. But Cody over there... Um, with Jude. I didn't know how to go with James. Uh, <laughs> James for, for, for five hundred dollars. Uh, man, I'm just gonna copy Cody and just go with Romans. It's too early to think of something different. So. I'm out on Romans. That's not happening. I'm going uh, probably Genesis. <laughs> I'm going Genesis. I'm gonna go with Gospel John. Good choice. My second choice would be Mark, since that's what we're working through right now. But yeah, John, Genesis, Mark, or First John. So why not Romans? Romans is so deep, man. Yeah. I guess we're going to be there a while. It'd be good that's to have. That's what I'm saying. I mean, Cody stole everybody's thunder with, with Romans. He, he did. I mean, you Definitely could, the first round. You could take Revelation if you wanted to. I, mean, I wouldn't. No. <laughs> Just saying, it was written on a deserted island, so <laughs> that very true. would be at home. <laughs> That's true. Didn't think of that. <laughs> Alrighty, so uh, to start up this conversation, we'll go in roundtable form, as we always do. So starting from me and going around the table. So, 
Cody here, short man on the phone call. Again, that yeah, just, just went first. Yeah, but that's an icebreaker. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> that point did not matter. All right, so uh, question one. Do you think the Old Testament atonement, meaning the Mosaic uh, system, was sufficient for atonement? So, um, the answer to that, I would put, is no, because it wasn't ever meant to be a permanent solution to the problem of sin. So the whole point well, you know, of the law in general was to show us um, that we couldn't keep it. And so the atonement, um, you know, it didn't last. It had to keep being done on a regular basis in order to, to cover sin. And so it was never a permanent solution. And so, um, you know, the blood of animals, um, whatever it may be that was required for that sacrifice was never enough to provide a permanent solution. So the short answer on that um, is no. So I'll, I'll leave some ground to, for everybody else to answer on that. So Dylan, what do you think? Uh, yeah. So the as Cody mentioned, uh, the the Old Testament uh, atonement system, the Mosaic sacrificial system, was was not sufficient. Um, number one, uh, the reason why it wasn't sufficient is because you kept having to sacrifice over and over and over and over and over again and you had to sacrifice for certain things for for certain sins uh, number two I uh, just want to add that if the mosaic sacrificial system was sufficient then why did Christ have to go to the cross to die once for all um, if the mosaic sacrificial system was sufficient then that would defeat the purpose of Christ coming to to the earth to to save sinners uh, once for all. Um, and First Peter uh, three eighteen says, "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit." So, there you go. Yeah, I didn't agree with what Cody and Dylan both said. Uh, Starting this out, I went and looked at the definition of, of atonement, and we throw around some words that occasionally aren't used in common parlance, and and that's one of them, I feel like. So uh, the definition I found was atonement, reparation for wrong or injury. Uh, so I would agree with what, what Cody and Dylan said, that no, the Old Testament atonement system wasn't, uh, it wasn't even designed for that. It was, it was prescribed by God to the Hebrews uh, in the Old Testament, but it was pointing forward to the uh, true atonement of Christ. If you look in Romans 3.20, uh, Paul says, "For By the works of the law will no human being be justified. Um, uh, in a sight sense, through the law comes knowledge of sin. In Hebrews 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, we see... Um, actually, look at it so I don't misquote it, because that's always bad. Yes. You probably go all the way down to 18, too. But. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah we may be, you may see Hebrews 10 again yeah. uh, in, this, in this podcast. Um, I was reading verse 4 for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins and, and I was kind of repeat what, what these guys have already said the sacrifices themselves were insufficient to um, to take away the sins of, of the people of Israel and they were really foreshadowing for the, the new covenant that was coming um, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ yeah. what do I add to that? there's not much to add honestly um, you guys you guys pretty well nailed it uh, to begin with, and Mason just quoted from Hebrews 10, and I was going to read from Isaiah 1, 11, uh, when God prophesied through Isaiah, I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Uh, the reality is 
God was establishing a principle from the beginning. Uh, it was never going to uh, be the end result of his plan. All, Jesus was always uh, the objective. And so, no, there, there's no way that the Old Testament could atone. Had any, had any, the Old Covenant had any bearing on atoning permanently for sin. It was just a placeholder until Jesus came to fulfill it, as we read in Matthew 5. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. Um, one thing about sin and the payment for sin, um, there has to be an eternal soul present for that payment. And so animals don't have that. So it would have to come from mankind for the payment of sin. So there's no possible way that the wrath of God could be poured out on something so finite as an animal. Uh, And, I mean, Romans 5, 20 tells us uh, now the law came in to increase the trespass. It was just, it was teaching us our need for a Savior. That's the whole point of the law, is to teach us our need for a Savior. That we're sinners and incapable of saving ourselves, and we need God to intervene on our behalf for that. Uh, So moving on from there, uh, we'll head back around. So Jeremy, I'll let you have first stab on this one. Why is atonement shown through the New Testament a much better and complete atonement? Okay, so this is the first time I've heard the question restated again. Uh, Why is atonement shown through the New Testament a much better and complete atonement? A much better and complete atonement? Well, I feel like the answer is Jesus. Um, Just kind of a one-word answer there. yeah, so the the reality is, and and the the poor Jews, I, I sympathize with them, uh, because they're such a traditional culture, and they, um, you know, they look they look back in the past, and and they they build their their entire lives based upon what what has happened in their past, and that it's a well documented past. Um, and so when they look into the Old Testament, they see their salvation. And what they don't realize is that, that their salvation came and, and he left and he ascended up, up into heaven. And so, um, I sympathize, sympathize with them for that because it would be difficult for me if I was such a, um, traditional, uh, individual and, and had that as my past, uh, to be able to, to flip that switch and realize that it was Jesus who came and, and accomplished it all. And, uh, yeah. I guess that's it. Yeah, I, I agree and pretty much echo just what Jeremy said. Uh, in, in John 1.29, Jesus is, is referred to as the perfect Lamb of God. So he was the perfect sacrifice. And we kind of touched base on this a little bit in the first point. Uh, who sacrificed, who sacrificed uh, once for all, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Hebrews 10, 10-14. Um, through his death, Jesus paid the price we could never pay. And by the grace of God, he's, his perfectly lived life was credited to us. Uh, so not only was his death a payment for our sins, but through, um, I'm going to throw a word out here that we may need to come back to, through double uh, imputation, we also get the life that he lived, which we can never live. We can never yeah. live a perfect life under the law. Jesus was the only one that could fulfill that um, and, and, and be that model life for us, that second Adam who, who did what Adam couldn't do and what we can never do. Um, since we have the uh, the sin of Adam on us, and so not only was his um, sacrifice uh, 
used to pay our sin, but his life was credited to us so that we could be counted as holy before God. Yeah, so um, as you as you mentioned in the in the first question, you know, you referenced Hebrews one or Hebrews chapter ten verses verses one through four, uh, and just again to reference, I mean, bulls, goats, grain, doves, etc. They were not sufficient for for uh, atonement, and so as Jeremy mentioned, we have Christ that atoned for all of those for all of our sins. It doesn't matter if it's you know, past sins, present sins, or future sins. Uh, Christ, Christ paid for Christ paid for it all, uh, and also Christ, Christ's sacrifice is a redemptive sacrifice where the old sacrificial system was not redemptive. You could not be redeemed through this old way of uh, of doing things. And in Hebrews chapter nine, eleven through through fourteen, it reads. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Cool, yeah. Um, the only thing I'd add to that, um, in I know we've mentioned Hebrews chapter 10 a couple times already, and we're only in the second question. But <laughs> <laughs> what I would say to that is it refers to the, the Mosaic Law, as a shadow, essentially, of the true form, mm-hmm. which is what Christ brought. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, to me, that, that kind of gives me a, a good picture. When we see a shadow of something, we get the outline of it. We know what it, it's kind of supposed to look like, but there's nothing, it's not tangible. Like, there's no depth to it. It's just, like I said, it's just a shadow. And so, for me, that helps put it in perspective to me uh, when comparing the two, you know, of what what it was meant to be is just a um, foretelling of the true form. You know, it was pointing to the true form all along. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, you go and look. So we've used Hebrews 10 a lot, but when you flip over to the next chapter, Hebrews 11, and you get to the Hall of Faith, you know, and it talks about the forefathers that come up through the Old Covenant, uh, and even before that, and it talks about their salvation, their righteousness, was coming to them because of their faith in God. It wasn't their adherence to the law. It wasn't their ability to follow God's rules. It was their faith was counted unto them as righteousness. And so it was that saving uh, faith in God that they understood. If God does not intervene on my behalf and pay for my sin for me, there's nothing that I can muster up or give God that will earn me salvation. Uh, and so, like you said, it was a shadow of things to come. The, the principles were there. Uh, now, it got misconstrued along the way. Uh, well, we've got to sacrifice. We've got to follow these rules. I mean, just look at Paul whenever he's talking about his pedigree. You know, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, as, as far as the law was concerned, uh, he was willing to go as far as to persecute the church. Uh, he was born of the tribe of Benjamin's. Uh, 
circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, he lays out his entire pedigree. He's like, if anybody could have been saved by the law, it would have been me. But I count all of that as garbage in comparison to what Jesus Christ has done for me because there's nothing I could have mustered up or done on my own that would have earned me the salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ. Uh, And so the principles were there. The principle of, I need God to save me throughout the entire Old Testament, especially when you get into the book of Hebrews and the author of Hebrews just lays all that out. He starts bringing back the Old Testament saying, well, when this was occurring, it was really a foreshadowing of what Jesus did here. And when this was occurring, this is really a foreshadowing of what Jesus did here. Uh, And so we see that the Old Testament was fulfilled, not done away with, but fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Yeah, when you look at... um... Luke 24, when the, the two uh, were on the road to Emmaus after, after Jesus had died, and they, you know, they, were, they were downhearted, they were disappointed, they had heard the, the report that his body wasn't in the tomb anymore, but then Jesus appeared to them and began to, to speak with them on the road, and uh, he went in and ate supper with them and uh, finally revealed who he was to them. And uh, what it said is that, that he opened up the scriptures to them and showed them everything that had to occur. So the reality, uh, you know, from the Old Testament scriptures, we see, we see Jesus the entire time. The problem is uh, we don't know that's what we're looking at. And so when Jesus appeared uh, and when Jesus made himself known in that way, the 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 light came on for some people, and for some people it, it did not. And that's, you know, Paul deals with that through in the New Testament so often. Uh, the book of Hebrews, um, obviously, the entire book of Hebrews is on that. And the book of Galatians, you know, people people are just trying to be righteous through works because that's the process that they've known. And that's what comes natural to us. We think we've got to stop sinning, we've got to quit doing this, this, or this, and then we'll be good. What we don't realize is there's absolutely nothing that we can do uh, to accomplish what only Jesus can. And uh, thankfully, the New Testament reveals that clearly. And by the grace of God, we've been able to see it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so Dylan, I'll let you start out with this question, but um, I want you to, to give an argument defending what we have read uh, as atonement found in the New Testament through Jesus Christ alone. Not just against like religions, but against works-based salvation that's found mainly in like Judaism or even Catholicism. Okay, so uh, there was a a concept that was, I guess you call it, it was coined uh, back in uh, during the days of the Reformation, the, you know, the 15th, the, the 16th century, and we've kind of alluded to it here called, you know, sola Christus, meaning it is through Christ alone that we are saved. And what that comes from is that comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And now I'm not going to go into Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10, because we we did two episodes <laughs> of the podcast on it. And, uh, and those were called, by grace, uh, through faith, you have been saved. Not, not any works, not any works that you can drum up in yourself, uh, because the works that we can drum up in ourselves are filthy rags. They are, they are filthy rags in the eyes of God. And, and, and so... The only way that we can be made righteous and the only way that we can 
well, I mean, we can't drum up our salvation. It, it's th- it's through Christ and through Christ alone. Um, so we can't we can't drum up our our salvation at at, at all uh, because we're wicked, we're depraved individuals, and we think evil thoughts all the time. So, yeah, I'd agree with what everything that Dylan said. I actually, in, in studying for this, found an example that Jesus gives in Luke seventeen seven through ten. Um, the title of a little passage in my Bible call it says calls it the unworthy servants. Uh, he says, "Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded?" So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So in this kind of little passage that I've never really given much thought before, um, Jesus kind of lays out the fact that even if we were able to keep the law completely, we really wouldn't be earning anything. We would just be fulfilling what was commanded of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's laying this out to, um, to I believe, I don't know if he's actually talking to just his disciples or if he's talking to some Pharisees there. Um, but, but he's laying this out to, to, to um, the people that are there with him. And, and uh, he's telling them, look, even if you could keep this perfectly, it, it still wouldn't be enough. Um, you still couldn't, if you faltered one time, there'd be no way for you to make up for it. Um, like Dylan said in Isaiah 64, uh, verse 6, that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Um and in Hebrews 9.22, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So even if we could live up to the standard that God has set, which we, which we can't. And by the way, Jesus doesn't decrease that standard. A lot of people think, oh, you know, loving Jesus, my good friend Jesus, he, you know, just love Jesus and that's enough. No, Jesus said, if you hate someone in your heart that's murder, if you, you know, look at a, at a woman with, uh, lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. He raised that standard from just actions to intentions. Yeah. I mean, he made, he increased the law. If you're just wanting to live by the law of Jesus, you're living by a law that's really un, un, unattainable. Because now you're not just responsible for what you do, you're responsible for what you think. Uh, and you're responsible for the intentions of your heart. Even if no one else can see it, you're still held responsible for the things that, that, are, that are going through your mind. And I mean, who doesn't have a mind? Who doesn't have a mind that wonders during the day? You know, um, come to wonder, Lord, I feel it. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So, so rather than decrease the law, Jesus increased the law. If you're just trying to live out in this, you know, legalistic way, so we, yeah, we cannot. We, we just can't. It's not unattainable. Paul writes in Galatians 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Um, You skip down to verse 23. Paul says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. I think that pretty well 
tells the tale right there. And um, just just the just the pride of humanity, to be honest with you, is is why we um, revert to uh, our own works. And and Mason Mason said it right. The law that Jesus came and brought was a uh, it's an extension. It's a it's an enhancement of the Old Testament law. Not not only are we now responsible for what we do, but for what we think and what we what we ponder on. Um, and the remedy to that in Hebrews four twelve it says that the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. And the last part of it says it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so we have to go to the word in order to discern, you know, our own condition. It, we're, we're not capable of, of um, diagnosing our own problem. The word has to do that for us. Uh, and it's a necessity that, that, we, that we turn to it always, often, readily, and humbly in order to get the benefits of it. Yeah, uh, like like you said, it's the it's the pride in humanity. You know that was the that was the original sin with Adam's. I know better than God, and so many times we want to play the hero in our story. You know, we want to be the one uh, that earns it. We want to be the one who's the good guy. But really, you're the villain in the story. You're, you're the one that God had to come and save. He had to give up his most prized possession, himself, uh, in the form of Jesus, in order for us to be saved. And so all we can do is taint what is holy. We can't offer anything uh, up for our own salvation. And it's it's that pride. It's that pride in that I can do it. I'm the, I'm the good guy. I'm the hero. Uh, I don't need anyone to save me when in reality, you can't save yourself. You need a holy God who is full of love and mercy and grace to intervene in your life. Otherwise, He's going to uh, fulfill His role as the good and righteous judge and pronounce judgment on your sin. Uh, and so we have to let go of that pride uh, in order to be saved, we have to understand that I I need God's mercy and I need God's grace. Otherwise, He's going to be a good God and He's going to be a just God and punish the sin that is present. Uh, and so we've got to come to the realization of I'm allow Jesus to take that punishment on my behalf and humbly say, God, I need you. Or are we going to hold on to this pride of I can be my own hero and leave it up to chance. But there's really no chance because when you read the scripture, it's very clear. You can't do it on your own. Like Dylan quoted, it is, it is not a, a, a thing of work so that anyone can boast. It is from God, by God, for His glory, but also for your benefit. Cody, what do you think? I mean, just to add to the boasting part, like we talked about, we actually talked about this when I led the lesson with the youth um, this past Wednesday night, but we, we talked about, you know, what would it look like to say that you you built something. Say it's like you built a house. You built it all by yourself. Who's going to get the credit for that? Well, you, because you're the only one that was responsible for building it. But then you had a couple other guys with you, and all three of you built it together. You're all going to take credit for building that house, you know? And so the same way, you know, like if, if we had any kind of part to play, then we could take credit and having something to do with saving ourselves. And by doing that, we are stealing glory from God. And then the whole purpose 
of us is, you know, being here and created is to glorify God. And so we'd be defeating the whole purpose of that if we had any kind of part to play in it. Not only that, you know, we would be giving into our pride by, you know, being able to take that credit too. So, I, you know, that, that's all I would just add in on that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so Mason, as we get kind of close to, to tying this up, uh, is there really a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament salvation? Uh, so we, we talked about earlier the difference in the systems of atonement, but as far as salvation goes, no, there's really not a difference between Old Testament and New Testament uh, salvation. They both rely on the faith of the individual. If uh, I'm sure everybody else on the still everybody's under here, Hebrews chapter 11, if you want to turn there, the Hall of Faith. And really, we can read through the whole stinking chapter because it talks about... Um, just the faith that was present throughout the Old Testament, uh, and it's really just a powerful chapter. I'm just going to read the first two verses. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. So right there, the writer of Hebrews is just laying out the fact that uh, that, that it wasn't simply by following this word, rigid works-based uh, system of sacrifice that, that the people of the Old Testament were justified. Um, but it was through faith. And, and you don't have to look to the New Testament to see that. It mentions it several times in the Old Testament. Uh, one one verse that we studied a lot recently at our church services here was, or I guess was was, was mentioned, it's been a while, it was uh, Habakkuk 2, 3 through 4, which says, uh, the just shall live by faith. Uh, so this was a, a, not a uh, tenant that was alien to the people in the Old Testament. They knew that they had to have faith in the promises of God that was that were set forth in the system. But it wasn't the system itself. It wasn't just oh, this ritualistic thing that we have to do. It was the faith and the belief that God is good and He will hold to these promises that He has given to us if we just by faith follow His commandments. So no, there's, there's really no difference. It's, it's just... The, the object of our faith is a little bit different now. They they believe in God's promises of, of here's what you have to do now and here's what it's pointing to. There's something coming and we look back and believe in the thing that came and that was Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if anybody can add to that, Mason. I'll be honest with you. But, uh, but you know, I, I agree. I would say that, you know, it is by faith that that we are saved um and of course you know it's ephesians chapter chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 again it is by grace you have been saved through faith not not any not any works that you can drum up and we see that uh exemplified in uh, hebrews chapter 11 as mason said we have all of these individuals from the old testament times that their faith was accredited to them as righteousness and i believe it actually says that in Hebrews chapter 11 when it talks about uh, Abraham in particular and it is our faith in Christ that is what saves us it is our it is our continued it is our continued faith in him that that grants us uh, salvation so the the maybe the atonement the works of atonement are different but the salvation is still through faith alone well that's <laughs> <laughs> pretty much said uh what I was going to say on that, um, I just, you know, you mentioned Abraham, and, and you know, it, it just, 
it, it boggles my mind the, the amount of you know faith that he had in God. And you talk, look at the story of you know Isaac. One that he the faith that he had um, when God told him that he was going to have a son, and he was like a hundred years old, and he just like yeah whatever. I'm a hundred years old. I'm an old man. My wife Sarah, she's barren. There's no way. But um, you know God said it's going to happen, and so he believed God, and, and, and he had the son. And then, after he had the son, God's like, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son. It's like, what? You know, it's, it's it just, and the fact that he, he was confident that God was just going to provide, take care of him in that situation. Like, um, he was confident when he talked to the, you know, his servants that when he went up to the mountain, about, hey, we're going to come back down, you know, after we go up here and worship. And, you know, he was confident the whole time he was talking to his son during the interaction. Even though his son had no idea what was going on, I was like, Dad, there's not anything here to provide, you know, land for. So, uh, that example of just the faith displayed there from Abraham, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to highlight that because um, that, it really just always stands out to me. But as far as what, you know, Dylan and Mason have already said, um, I, don't, I don't really have much to add to that. So, Seth, I'll let you or Jeremy Boyle take over on that. Well, in, um, in Hebrews 9, it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And the entire reality of what God was doing um, throughout the sacrificial system and the blood covenant necessity was 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 showing people their their need um, that there, that there would have to be a uh, the the price would have to be paid and it would have to be paid by blood and so that that's the objective of, of the sacrifices and the bulls and goats and what Cody just mentioned you know uh, God taking Abraham and Isaac up onto the mountain uh, and making the sacrifice and He provided the ram for them there um, but I think I think a problem that that we have is that we get um, we get so consumed with the aspect of time. And we think, well, you know, how how would the Old Testament saints have been saved if Jesus hadn't come to the cross yet? Well, God is not constrained by time, and so that that the the fact that the chronology hadn't occurred yet uh, here physically had no bearing what whatsoever. It was it was of faith from the beginning, and it's of faith all the way to the end, and that that never has nor nor will it ever change. Um, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's just it's just really that simple, and um, we we overcomplicate. It, certainly when it comes to salvation because it doesn't take a lot of faith it's just faith it's just a, a, a small amount of faith that's that's all that is required uh, for for a man a mustard seed certainly that's all that is required for a man to be saved and so um well, it's important that we remind ourselves of that and that we don't get caught up into any kind of uh, processes there is no process just believe yeah, yeah, I think that's why Peter made the point of saying, you know, Jesus who was slain before the foundations of the world, right. uh, to to highlight that you know this salvation has has been here uh, from the beginning. The plan had already been in place before creation began. Uh, and I also would like to to bring up um, back in in Psalm fifty one after. David had committed, you know, adultery and murder, and his prayer to God, and he brings a point: you didn't desire sacrifices and burnt offerings; you desired a broken and contrite heart. 
And David understood. The law is not what brought me redemption. It was the fact of me humbling myself and understanding that I need your forgiveness. I'm not offering my works. I'm not offering uh, anything on my part other than a humble and broken heart that the God that made me gave me a, a law in my heart to not break. And I broke it and incurred his wrath. And I need him to forgive me. I need him to save me. Not that I can prove that I can be better. I need him. So, um, Cody will come full circle and start with you and head back around towards Dylan. Uh, I know you're so excited about answering this last question first. But, uh, so what about, we'll end on this question. So, Judaism now. Do you think they're, through the reading of Scripture, are they still God's chosen people and still... Holy moly. <laughs> I, I told you, I told you. Uh, and can still be saved by uh, only adhering to Old Testament theology. Oh, okay. So I had, to, I had I got a couple places I had to go for this. So here's here's what I'll say about that. In First uh, Peter, in chapter two. So Peter, you know, he's talking to a mix of you know Jews and Gentiles that come to Christ, and. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence, excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into, into his marvelous light. And once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you uh, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what Peter's doing there, he's, actually, he's echoing what's said in uh, Exodus 19. Um, you look in verses 5 through 6, um, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And there, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So, I mean, Peter's, you know, echoing that, you know, the, the church is the, the new Israel in that sense. And so, um, I think if we look at it from that standpoint, you know, he's, he's applying what's said in Exodus to the church. And so, to me, um, that the, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law that we talked about. And so, you know, there still has to be a saving um, through what Jesus has done. And so, if we're just only talking about them being able to earn salvation by keeping that commandments, that's not possible. We just, you know, talked about that in the last one. It was the faith um, that is a belief, and now we see that through Jesus, you know, fulfilled it. So, Oh, my gosh. Uh, so there's, I mean, you either think that the, that the Jews are going to be this chosen race, um, and, of, of course, there are some scriptures that I believe that have been uh, taken out of context that uh, that people like to kind of justify their claim of of that. One of those is Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to anyone, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Well, the... 
people they they like to use that verse, but the reality is is that I mean we're talking about you know the righteousness and the righteous people will live by faith, and we know that that faith is in Christ, and it's in Christ that His blood was shed for us. Um, so there's that line of thought, and then there's also the line of thought which I believe is a more correct line of thought. If you go to Ephesians chapter two, um, I believe it's verse eleven. It talks about there's neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile. It, there, there's no discrimination there. There's not. It's it's all under Christ. And if doesn't matter what your race is, if you have faith, if God has imputed faith onto you to believe in Christ, then you will be saved, regardless if you're a Jew, if you're a Greek, if you're a Gentile. It it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Uh, but that's that's about all I have to say to that. I, I, it, that's a tough question. That's a really tough question. So. I'm basically not going to touch the first part of that question and just answer the second part, which is talking about being saved by Old Testament theology. Mm-hmm. I think Old Testament theology points to New Testament theology. Yeah. I mean, they're one and the same. It's, it's all theology. The Old Testament system, like we talked about earlier in this podcast, points straight to Christ as a Messiah, uh, and it's the fulfillment of the law. Even in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, it talks about a new covenant. Um, Starting at 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write, write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Um, and, and again in Isaiah chapter 53, where Isaiah goes into this great description of the coming Messiah, the suffering servant, the one that would, would take the penalty of their sin on his shoulders. Uh, so even if you're just looking at the Old Testament, it clearly points to this one who is coming, and we all believe that the one who was coming then and who did come about 2,000 years ago was Jesus. So if if you're someone that's looking at the Old Testament, you have to come to the realization that, hey, there's going to be this Messiah, and if you miss him, which most of the Jewish people did when he was there, then then you're missing the point of the Old Testament. You're missing the point of, every, of all the promises, of all the prophecy, of all the, the uh, systems that were laid to point to Christ uh, as the fulfillment of the law. So I would say, you know, no, uh, you, you, can't just, you can't just be saved by, by that because if you're leaning on that, then you miss it. Well, doesn't that imply works-based salvation too? It does. In a way. In a, in a way. And, and, I mean, if we're going to get into that, I mean, nobody's been sacrificing anymore. They haven't done sacrifices since the temple was destroyed in eighty seventy by the Romans. Yes, uh, they were scattered. I mean, so their their the sacrificial system's been dead for almost two thousand years. Uh, so if, if you're going by that, you haven't had a you know a sacrifice for a long time for anybody's <laughs> forgiveness of sin. So yeah, well, that library card's a little over me. Yeah, just a, just just a smidge. Read the question again. <laughs> <laughs> question is, what about Jews now? Are they still God's chosen people, and are they saved by Old Testament theology, excluding New Testament? Oh, okay. 
Um, so Paul, Romans 9, he, uh, he expresses his, um, just basically his anguish for the Jewish people. And in beginning in verse 2, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, you know, I'm a pastor here at this church, and I love you guys and all the people in it, but I don't know that I'm to the point to where I could say I wish I was accursed and cut off from Christ <laughs> for the sake of my brothers. But hey, uh, hey, at least you're honest. I that, I'm, just, I'm just telling you the truth here. Um, but so so Paul felt this um, felt this hole in his heart for these people. In verse 4 he says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Um, and so there's a there's a special there's a special anointing and a special blessing that has been given to the people of Israel. And I don't think, I, th- I think anyone that denies that, um, uh, I think they're mistaken. But to go into, you know, farther into the book of Revelation and then um, assume that everything that's in the book of Revelation that speaks of Israel uh, is excluding of the church. I, th- I think we're probably taking that too far. I mean, Cody laid out the case for us there pretty well when we began with First Peter 2 in that, uh, you know, Peter's talking to everybody from Cappadocia and Bithynia and Galatia and Phrygia. We are the chosen generation, uh, those people who have been uh, called out of darkness and into light. And so uh, I don't think everything can be be attributed um, to Israel in the future, but um, I, I sure wouldn't discount the fact that that God still has something to do uh, with those people. You know, Jesus, um, as we're studying through the Book of Mark right now, Jesus, as he descended into um, into Jerusalem, it, it's told that that he wept um, over the city because they had missed their time of visitation. That they that they. Everything that had gone on before, they had had this this great blessing and opportunity to receive the Messiah and to to understand salvation and to be um, enveloped by it. And basically, they 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 missed it, but they missed it because they they rejected it. I can only think that whenever the end times begin to come around and things begin to happen, that there is going to be a large contingency of Jews where the Holy Spirit opens their mind and it clicks with them and they realize, um, oh my gosh, you know, we've, we've missed it for this whole time. Jesus indeed was the fulfillment of those things. And, uh, it'll be an awesome thing. So as far as, as far as, um, how do we treat uh, the Israelites today? How do we consider them? I, I have a tremendous respect for them. I don't think there's any doubt uh, that God blesses that country. They're in the middle of uh, chaos, a tiny little place. Uh, and, you know, right now, you know, as we record this um, episode, they're being attacked and, and have been being there under a ceasefire right now but uh just the just the sheer hand of hand of god on that country in the in the location that they are in is undeniable and i want to stay their friend um the, the, i, I want to be on their team uh, unless unless they just 
unless they just totally completely turn from and defy God. Uh, everything is there for them to be able to, to see it and submit to what is true. And uh, they've been given a spiritual blessing. They're the, they're the people of Shem. And so um, there's something to be said for that. And I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be one to discount that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just to add in a couple more things before we close, uh, as far as... As Old Testament theology and sacrificial systems and everything, uh, I think John the Baptist made it pretty clear to them whenever he was baptizing at the uh, Jordan River, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, come up and he says, "You brood of vipers, uh, don't you know presume salvation through the line of Abraham, citing Abraham, my father, uh, because if God wanted to, He could raise Israelites up out of these rocks." Um, so, you know. He made it clear there, your salvation doesn't come through the law. Um, it comes through uh, faith in God, more specifically faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but something, I, I agree with Jeremy as well. I mean, you read in, in Romans 11, uh, verse 16, it says, If the dough offered uh, of, as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And so he's... He, He's not making a distinction in salvation between Jew and Greek. But if you notice, whenever he's talking of the Israelites, you know, he considers them the first fruits, and he considers them the root. Uh, and there's there's definitely honor to be held in that. And so I agree with Jeremy uh, on that. Um, but the fact still remains that everyone found uh, saved through Jesus Christ is included uh, in this holy people. Uh, Yeah, let me read just a little bit more from Romans 9 really quick. Um, Paul says, For it's not all who are descended from Israel who belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. In verse 8, Romans 9. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of of the promise who are counted as the offspring. And so it, it's it's not a physical lineage. If anybody has that uh, mis uh, miscalculation, that's it. It's pretty much blown out of the water uh, throughout the entire New Testament, and uh, the Jews would do well to read that and believe it. <laughs> as as we all, as we all. All right, fellers. Well, so concludes this episode of the podcast. Uh, thank you guys for for tuning in for another episode. Uh, we hope that you are edified. Uh, buy it if you don't know Jesus Christ. Um, please get to know Him as, as Lord and Savior. Uh, he's the only way. He's the only way to salvation. So we love you guys, and we will catch you next time.